Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. And we're into extra time! Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Bridget Tunnicliffe. It's a big weekend for the All Blacks. While playing a test against Argentina may not usually set the pulse running, apart from the ardent rugby fan, it's taken on much more significance given the side's first ever loss to the Pumas two weeks ago and the fact they've lost two tests on the trot, something they haven't done since 2011. They now sit on a hat-trick of losses that hasn't happened since 1998 when the All Blacks lost five in a row. And while the team is looking to save the season, coach Ian Foster is seemingly trying to save his job. We're also talking cricket. The Black Caps International Summer gets underway with a three-match T20 series against the West Indies. And we remember football legend Diego Maradona, who died this week. We haven't been able to control the play in midfield the way that Maradona has been able to do Joining me on this week's edition of Extra Time are RNZ's Joe Porter and Barry Guy, White Fern's Susie Bates, who's serving her time in isolation after returning from Australia, and hopefully behaving herself better than the Pakistani cricketers in Christchurch. And making his debut on Extra Time is cricket commentator Brian Waddle. Ata Maria, welcome to you all. Right to the All Blacks, if they manage a third straight loss in Newcastle on Saturday night, it would be it would mean new coach Ian Foster would cap off his year first year in the job with just two wins from six tests. The Knives are already out for Foster, given his appointment as Steve Hansen's replacement was hardly unanimously endorsed. Someone, though, who is backing him is former All Black skipper Tana Umanga. I always expect the All Blacks to win, so yeah, I'm sure that there's been a lot of soul searching. It's been a long two weeks for them, I, I can imagine. You know, they're, they're doing everything they can, and I'm sure they've now got a taste after two games. You know, watching the the, the Pumas and and how they play. You know, I'm sure they've developed some plans around how they can you know, get the success they're looking for. So you know, I um, obviously <laughs> I'm an I'm an All Black fan and, and a New Zealander as well, so I, I back the. The All Blacks all the time. Do you have any experience? I'm not sure if you lost two games in a row as an All Black, but what was, what did it feel like? Was there a palpable difference in pressure after losses going into games? Uh, it's funny. Uh, like, I see the pressure of being an All Black as the same every week. You know, you, you never want to lose, and um, and there's the pressure from within to always perform at, at your peak. You know, and um, so. Whether you've won or lost, it's like you can enjoy it, or for that split uh, split second in time. And yet, you know, you got a you got another one coming up the following weekend, and you know the same pressure comes through. So I think after a loss, you're you're more determined. 
obviously not to do it again. So, you know, I, I know these guys will be going through that at the moment um, after two. So they'll be, um, you know, I think you'll see a, a, another determined bunch as always, you know, and they'll make sure they, they want to execute, you know, whatever the plans that they have in place to um, the best of their abilities. As a coach yourself, obviously coaches do tend to take a bit of the, the whiplash when losses happen. Do you sort of feel for the, some of the castigation that Ian Foster's been copying? Uh, look, yeah, you've got to feel. I've been in that spot myself, so you, you know uh, to an extent, you know what what Fozzie's going through, and I, like I wouldn't wish that on anyone. So, you know, I know in our small community of coaches at this level, like you know, we all feel for him, and we understand, you know, so the pressures to, like I said, to probably uh, not as a level that he's at at the moment, but you know, you know that he's doing his best to to change it around, and um, you know, our thoughts with him. That's former All Black captain Tana Umanga talking to Joe Porter. Joe, can you see the All Blacks losing again this weekend? No, to give you a very short answer, I don't think so. Like it's, it's highly unlikely. Already at the bookies again, Argentina are rank outsiders. I mean, look, it's unlikely. It's it's rare that the All Blacks lose two games in a row. Like you've mentioned, this last time that happened was 2011. The last time they w- lost more than three in a row, or three in a row, was 1998. So a long time between drinks in terms of losing streaks. You would expect them to get up over an Argentinian side who have just five players uh, from the team that drew with the Wallabies and and beat the All Blacks for the first time in history. So massive changes to their lineup. They'll be physically and emotionally drained after uh, you know three big weekends of rugby for them and some historic performances. However, the Diego Maradona effect too comes into play now. They'll be wanting to honour one of their country's greatest sons in the best way possible by winning again. They have the belief now that they can do it. They have a game plan that obviously is there that can rattle the All Blacks. I mean, they just kick penalties from wherever they can and tackle, 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 tackle. However, I think if the All Blacks execute better than they do, don't get caught up in the... Uh, the back and forth of, and the to and fro of, of the niggly stuff and don't give away stupid penalties like we did see them do in that loss to Argentina, they should bounce back and win. And if that's the case, then Foster's left with, what, three wins, two losses and a draw in his first six matches in charge. I think the knives get put away for at least this season. He, his contract finishes at the end of 2021 anyway, so I think if they win this weekend, yeah, the, the sort of bang for his blood drops away at least till next year and the All Blacks go up against some more serious opposition like the likes of the Springboks and possibly some Northern Hemisphere teams like England, when we see how they react to those teams and perform against them, that'll give us a better gauge. But I think for now, people calling for Foster to go is a bit premature. I do wonder, though, if uh, the All Blacks only win by mm-hmm. six or less mm-hmm. points, because there's uh, some you know, harsh critics here. All Blacks fans yep. can be pretty rough, Brian. Um, you know, so is only winning by a few points still going to be considered a loss in a way? I, I one, one point, 50 points. It doesn't matter. A win. The trouble is that in, in rugby terms, there's an expectation that the All Blacks will always win, mm. and fans don't buy a loss. A lot of the pressure that's come on Foster, to my mind, is you know social media pressure. Uh, you don't hear a lot of people who actually know a lot about the game calling for him to be uh, taken out. The anonymity of hiding behind you know a, a certain name and saying let's get rid of uh, Foster, to my mind, is is crazy. He's he's new to the job. He's uh, trying to build a new team. And, you know, I look, I look at what he's done for the most recent game, and he's not made changes, even though he's looking at three losses in a row. He's stuck with those players. He's got the right players there. It's a bit like the New Zealand cricket team. They don't change their side greatly. You know, players 
get chosen and they are trusted. And there's a continuity and consistency about everything that they do. And I think that's what we've got to expect from Ian Foster and the All Blacks. A scrape of a win, Barry, and the murmurings will continue if it's not convincing. However, a loss will be catastrophic. The knives will definitely come out and people will be asking. Two losses to Argentina who haven't played any rugby this year. It's simply not good enough. So... A loss will be catastrophic, and he'll be under an immense amount of pressure if that is the case. However, a win, whether it be scratchy or not, I think keeps him safe, at least. And like Leo Blacks, the NZA have a bailout option. They can get rid of him at the end of next year if it's not going well. So they've set them themselves well in that sense. Susie, I'm not sure if you've got Sky TV in your, in your <laughs> hotel accommodation there. Have you, will you be watching it this weekend? Are you able to watch anything? That night we have Sky, so yeah. we're lucky here. Um, and there's actually um, four of us that have come back from the WVBL and we've sort of checked in as a little bubble. So we'll be watching together. There's a lot of sport on this weekend, so that's going to keep us happy. Um, we're up to day four, so still a long way to go. So we'll be watching the All Blacks for sure. So as a player who's a lot closer to a coach than any of us are, Susie, I mean, uh, and you've been through this in the last couple of years where a coach has moved on. You know, do the players feel that pressure also for a coach? Um, I think from my experience, when you're involved in um, a loss or a few losses in a row, the players really take the responsibility for that. Um, You know, for example, we played a series in Australia where we only won one out of six matches but I think the group's pretty confident that Bob Carter's the right person for the job and it's more about you know what we could have done better in the lead up how we're going to get better um, leading into a World Cup rather than the players focusing on the coach too much they're not the ones that go out there and play so I think that often comes from above rather than the playing group unless there is um, some real issues there. Joe, if the All Blacks did lose this weekend, it's one thing for fans and punters to bay for Foster's blood. Would you realistically see the NZRU even contemplate that? No, I don't think they would. Like I said before, he's contracted only until the end of next year. So if he has another, if he loses this weekend, Foster does the All Blacks lose and has a string of poor results last year and can't turn it around, they can they can say see you later, thanks. We gave you a good shot. We thought you were the best man for the job, but we were wrong. Bring in someone else. But to a knee-jerk reaction after two losses to Argentina and a loss to the Wallabies when no real rugby has been played this year in terms of an international sense. The box haven't had a game. Who knows what's going on up in the Northern Hemisphere. The results have been a bit mixed, although England looks strong. I think that it's just too early to judge his performance and his results. It's, he hasn't really had a full season to work with. They've missed the July test when they're rusty, so they've come in at the end of the year a bit rusty. I think, yeah, I think it would be far too premature for NZR to axe him if they did lose to Argentina, and I can't see it happening. It's not just Ian Foster. Yeah. There's a whole team That's of right. uh, coaches as well, and, and I think them. they have it. Yeah, and they and they have to set a plan of, of doing something uh, a little bit different than has been done before. This has been a difficult year for rugby. It hasn't gone the way we expected. You know, we haven't been able to sit and watch the games the way we want to do it. You know, there have been a lot of changes, and mm. I think that you know, in terms of that, he deserves to have uh, you know a bit of slack cut to him. And it wouldn't only be Ian Foster that you would want to get rid of. You'd have to say, what about the others? I don't think they've Mm. picked the wrong team. It's how they've played on the park. And and we'd be watching how they played this game rather than the quality of the team. And if their attitude's wrong, then they might be open for question. 
to cricket, the Black Caps domestic summer gets underway this weekend with a three-match T20 series against the West Indies. Brian, it's been more than an eight-month wait. Have you been holding out for this? Does it feel that long? It does. 260 <laughs> days since the New Zealanders last played a game. I was just uh, looking through the Indian side who are going to Australia in 300, 291 days since they played against New Zealand here. So uh, it has been a diet of other things. Um, it's been T T20, it's been ODIs, uh, and it's, of course, starting with T20s here. And uh, I think, you know, the public is getting ready for a change away from rugby. They want to see a bit of cricket. I'm not sure that there's a real uh, swelling of uh, desire out there, but you only have to look on social media and, and uh, other areas where the public do get involved, and they want to see it, and that's part of our summer. What are, you, what are your expectations of the Black Cats? Is it hard to know given we haven't seen them for so long? My expectations are that they will win. They have been hard to beat in New Zealand, in test matches in particular. When it comes to T20s, that's a bit of a lottery anyway. So, you know, I think the West Indies have got a better chance of taking that than is the case with the test match series. But I think New Zealand will win the test match series because they have the players who are used to our conditions. As I mentioned before, the consistency, the continuity. Very hard to get into the New Zealand side now. Will Young has managed to um, sneak into the squad. They've got another player, Devin Conway, who's uh, making strong Moves to get into the New Zealand team and and can't and can't make it. So uh, when it comes to the Test matches, I think we'll be uh, able to take those T20s. Well, it's a lottery. They are a lottery, aren't they, Susie? <laughs> yeah, no, they can be. I think um, the West <laughs> Indies team as well. Um, you never know what uh, West Indies team is going to turn up. So um, yeah, I think the 2020 series is going to be a bit of a lottery, but. Um, like Brian said, I think we've had such a good record at home. And, yeah, I'm just really excited to see if Devin Conway gets an opportunity. Um, everyone within New Zealand cricket's been talking about him for a couple of years, so it's exciting to see him um, get a go at this level. Susie, you had to cut your WBBL season short. Head back to New Zealand after injuring your shoulder while playing for Adelaide Strikers. I believe you caught up with the surgeon this week. What's the prognosis? How long are you facing out of cricket? Yeah, it's been um, a bit of a long stint on the sidelines this year with um, corona and then hurt in my shoulder. But, um, yeah, it's not great news, but I have got an appointment um, to get it fixed on the 14th of December. And they're sort of saying it's going to be six to nine months um, out at this stage, which, yeah, fortunately for me, the World Cup's been moved to 2022. So that gives me a chance to get myself fighting fit for that. So good news there. Uh, so how do you cope? I mean, you've been in the side for a while, obviously, but I mean, nine months away from the game, I, I imagine a couple of months is the most you've ever had in the middle of winter or something. But, you know, mentally, that sort of thing, have you, are you starting to prepare yourself for that? Yeah, I'm not sure how I'm going to cope. I haven't, I don't think I'd missed the game from injury since I started. So it's been a different experience. Um I might have to, you know, go onto the dark side and do a bit of media work while I'm waiting to get fit again, um, if they'll have me. But, yeah, I'm trying to find ways um, yeah, to keep busy, um, help out with the Otago Sparks. I think once um, I get my shoulder fixed, then, yeah, I think having a World Cup, a home World Cup to prepare for is going to help with the motivation through that long stint, um, especially at my age.
Did you have an inkling that this was coming? I mean, they don't just, uh, injuries like that just don't come out of the blue, do they? Have you been impacted in any way? Has it affected your ability to concentrate on, on your game for a period of time? Uh, no, I'd, I'd had no shoulder issues other than a little bit of general stiffness and tightness just from playing for so long. But, yeah, it was just an unfortunate dive where I landed. They call it the tri-scoring um, injury because rugby players tend to do it. Um, yeah, and I just dove for a ball and landed on it awkwardly and then thought I was going to be able to rehab it without surgery and, um, yeah, took one throw and obviously it wasn't right. So, yeah, just a bit of a shame that I've heard it twice in such a close space of time. We imagine you'll be able to bat, but will you be able to bowl again? Um, they do say, yeah, bowling's actually not the major issue. It's the throwing that comes last. So I think, yeah, the batting's going to be fine. Um, bowling, they think just with the mechanism and how it works, um, actually throwing at a distance is probably the last thing to mm. come back. So maybe I'll start practicing left-handed. Or <laughs> spending the rest of your career in the slips or something. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately we don't play enough test match cricket, so you don't have slips very much. But, um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll be hiding myself behind well, the wicket somewhere. Well, is it, there's another point to push for more test match cricket for women. Exactly. Do it for Susie. <laughs> um, Susie, what's what's your setup like in isolation hotel? I think uh, there are some other white ferns there at the same time with you. Yeah, we've been really lucky. I think it's really potluck where you get put, and we were given the heads up that if you sort of travel as if you're a bubble or a family, you can check in together, and then you can hang out in that bubble while you're here. So we made sure that we stuck together. So. Amy um, and Leah Southwade and Rosemary Mayer are also here and we've got a really nice hotel in Auckland. Um, I think the exercise bit's um, probably the only one thing. We get a bus every second day to a little park where we've got a pen we can walk around for an hour um, and other than that we're sort of confined to our room. So um, it's going okay so far and like I said there's lots of live sport this weekend which is going to keep us a little bit occupied. Susie, what are your thoughts on the Pakistani cricketers? The West Indies couldn't get it right either. How hard is it to follow a few simple rules when you're in an isolation <laughs> hotel? Well, you're talking about men yeah. here first, yeah. rather yeah. than the women first. Uh. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what the difference is, but look, we've been living sort of bubble hub life since September. We went to Australia and we were put in quarantine. We were allowed to train, but we had sort of three levels of a hotel that we couldn't leave. And then we went to WBBL Bubble Life, where we were under strict rules in a hotel altogether. And I don't know, we just wanted to play, and maybe we're more scared of the um, the governing bodies than the men are. But we, yeah, I don't know, you just got on with it because you knew if you wanted to play, that's the rules. And if anyone got COVID, it ruined the whole competition. And the cameras are watching you in the hotels too. Yes, they are, and yeah, you can't. Um, yeah, we learnt pretty quickly that you you had to follow the rules. And, yes. Yeah, I think yes, we knew that if something went wrong, that we jeopardised any competition we were playing in. You know, the Pakistanis, they're always ones to test the boundaries, you know, um, and perhaps they don't understand the uh, situation in terms of um, keeping a curfew, but uh, it's not the first time that they've been in trouble like that uh, testing the authorities um, one just hopes that they'll come right because the last thing we want is for their players not to be able to play in New Zealand 
considering mm. everyone else has done it reasonably well, or New Zealand's done it reasonably well, you'd expect the tourists to come. Oh, and, yeah, you know. people have been jumping out of hotels and going down to the pub and <laughs> <laughs> looking for KFC. Yeah. <laughs> So we, we've got a pretty decent diet of uh, summer cricket coming up, West Indies, Pakistan, Australia and Bangladesh. Brian, what, is there something that you're particularly looking forward to seeing over the summer? Well, to me, it's test cricket because it's the game that uh, I enjoy the most. I mean, I enjoy all cricket, but it's test cricket and the fact that New Zealand have only got four test matches is disappointing, but... The short-form game has to fund the um, the game in New Zealand and uh, it's going to be a costly exercise for New Zealand cricket anyway because they've got to put people in quarantine and there's no way of earning money back for that. That's just a dead cost for them. And, and that's going to be expensive when you go through. I think the Pakistan team have got 53 people. That's... Two teams, officials, whatever. That's a lot of people to be carrying around. And so uh, we've got to make it work so that the uh, the cricket authorities in New Zealand get their money back. And that's why we've got to have these short-form games. But, but I'm, a, I'm, I'm the Test Match um, fan, and uh, I, just, I just want to see um, Ross Taylor, Kane Williamson, Tom Latham, and the bowlers go through their routines with the same efficiency and professionalism that they brought to their game. Uh, I'd like to have seen the Women's World Cup here, uh, Susie, but you're going to have to wait a little bit longer for that. Yeah, we are, thankfully for me. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's hopefully 2022 we can get it run and with COVID a little bit more under control. But yeah, we're excited to, I think everyone's excited to see the Black Caps play and hopefully the White Ferns have. Um, a series against England and Australia at the end of the summer to replace that World Cup space. The football world is mourning the death of football legend Diego Maradona, who died earlier this week at the age of 60. Maradona led Argentina to the World Cup 1986, but as talented as he was on the field, he was escorted off it, with his life particularly post-football marred by drug and alcohol addiction. Such is Maradona's legendary status in his homeland that the Argentinian government has declared three days of national mourning. Former All-White and Oceania player of the 20th century, Winton Rufa, twice played against Maradona in 1989 when Rufa was at German club Werder Bremen and Maradona was at the peak of his powers with Italian club Napoli. Rufa reflected on coming up against the Argentinian star with sports editor Stephen Hewson. One of the greatest players to have ever played the game and uh, obviously what he could do on the field was, you know, truly phenomenal. He's a magician with the ball. Scored from impossible angles, amazing free kicks. Ball control was just absolutely, you know, he was like from another planet. And uh, no, he was really amazing. Off the field, he uh, was, was a little bit of a shame. He often got himself into trouble, but uh, obviously no doubting his amazing football ability. You got to play against him quite possibly at, at his peak when you were at Werder Bremen and he was at Napoli. And I was looking back, that game was almost 31 years to the day. Pretty amazing stuff. Young Kiwi boy from New Zealand on the world stage, you know, with a big German club and him playing against one of the best teams in the world. It was, uh, no, it was, it was pretty special. And then, of course, I scored the winner. We were leading 2-0. They then got back to 2-2. Um, we had an absolutely incredible game. They were clearly the favourites. And then... Um, on a breakaway, uh, in the last minute, I scored the winner. 
and then and then directly after the game, I, I swapped shirts with them. Normally, when you finish the game, you're, you're jumping over your teammates and celebrating because it was a massive win. I just I, I sprinted past my teammates and then sprinted up to Diego to get his shirt. <laughs> Joe, you're I'm too young to remember him actually playing. You're even younger than me. You didn't see the guy play, but he's just this figure, isn't he? Yeah, and I've, I sort of more was aware of his exploits off the field post-career, to be perfectly honest, because that's what made the headlines after he stopped playing football. Obviously, a flawed genius, so to speak. I've heard that phrase used a lot. Um, but what a character and what an incredible footballer. And I didn't quite know just how incredible he was. I've been watching some old footage of of his abilities, and um, he really did carry those Argentinian teams on his back, 86 in particular. He was almost a one-man band. He was so good at, at beating players and setting up assists that sometimes his, the rest of his team were surprised that the ball came over and fluffed the goal-scoring chances, and he ended up just having to go through the whole team himself and put it in the back of the net. But just the way he could move between players and, and, and wrong-foot them, just absolutely incredible. And, and what a character and what a spirit and, and what a love for football and a passion for all sport that the man had. I mean, we were talking to Mario Ledesma, the Pumas Argentina's rugby coach, yesterday, and what they might do to honour Diego, of course, Argentina with in three days of mourning currently. He really is sort of a god among that nation. Um, and they, he was just saying that he used to come to all their home games when they were in Argentina and a lot of their games away as well. Uh, he would always come into the changing rooms and speak to the younger players and sort of look to encourage and inspire them in whichever way he was. Always friendly, always always free with his advice and his time. And But he said the man just had a presence that belied his stature. He would walk out into the stadium and the announcer would stop, the music would stop. They were playing the All Blacks once and, 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 and out, out Diego walked into the crowd. The music stopped, every, the announcer stopped, everyone stopped and just started looking at Diego including the All Blacks. He was that kind of a figure within the team. And the ref didn't start the game. He delayed kickoff just because Diego had come out. He was just, just yeah, a man that obviously transcended all sport. And I believe L'Equipe, the French newspaper, with their front page headline was God is Dead. So he certainly meant a lot to a lot of people. A giant of a game. Uh, and Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.